Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Big E here. This is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers, and it's episode 75. We're talking about a new case from the Fourth Circuit on pat-downs, and it's a really interesting follow-up to an episode that we did just a few months ago on pat-downs. Uh, this was a case, this was episode 66, for those of you who remember, a case called U.S. versus Buster, where officers patted down a fanny pack of a person who had just been involved in a shooting. They definitely had reasonable suspicion that he was armed, and the court said that the officers could not pat down his fanny pack. Today, we're going to talk about a case from North Carolina, a Fourth Circuit case that was appealed to uh, that Court of Appeals, and they ruled that the pat-down of a fanny pack where officers had reasonable suspicion that someone was armed was lawful. (laughs) So same court, only a few months later. What happened? What what was different? What was different in these cases in a four-month period for us to go from patting down of a fanny pack to being from being unlawful to being lawful under the Fourth Amendment? So let's dive into it. Let's talk about the facts of this case, and then we'll go back and sort of review what the rules are and what the court ruled in Buster and then why this is uh, an interesting case for us today. Because I think that there's a real lesson in this case today for officers going forward about articulation. And what we said about Buster last time too, I think, was officers nowadays are going to really have to articulate not just I had reasonable suspicion to pat this person down, but I needed to disarm them under the circumstances uh, because they had they could get access to the weapon. There was a danger. The person posed a danger to me. So let's start with this, right? We know that under the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, we know that under Terry, that a that officers, if they have reasonable articulable suspicion to believe that somebody's engaged in criminal activity, can detain that person for a brief period of time in order to identify them, question them briefly, and confirm or dispel their suspicion of criminal activity. And in addition to that, if officers have reasonable suspicion to believe that the person is armed, then the officers may conduct a pat-down of that person to, again, uh, disarm that person and and render that situation safe until that temporary detention is complete, right? And that's where Terry comes up with this idea of a frisk, right? So the person I'm dealing with is armed, but also in Terry it says armed and potentially dangerous, right? Armed and presently dangerous. The idea here is... Uh, Under Terry, the purpose of a limited search authorized by Terry is not to discover evidence of a crime, right? That would be a probable cause search, but to allow an officer to pursue an investigation without fear of violence. Terry allows officers to take necessary measures to determine whether the person, in fact, is carrying a weapon and then to thus neutralize the threat of harm. And so the argument that we're going to talk about today focuses not on whether or not we have reasonable suspicion to believe that somebody is armed. In both of these cases, the case from from Buster from four months ago and the case that we're going to talk about today, officers definitely had a reasonable suspicion to believe that people are armed. The question is, was there sufficient articulation that the person was also dangerous at the time that the officers uh, detect and remove the weapon? Okay, so let's talk about the case today. Let's talk about these facts. Uh, The case today is a case called Gist Davis, G-I-S-T Davis. And again, it's a case from the uh, North Carolina courts, district courts. It's a case where Mr. Gist Davis, who was a convicted felon, um, was at a state fair. Now, officers had identified this guy before as a member of a uh, violent set of the Bloods organization. And they know that that group often carries firearms. And they monitor that group's social media activities. 
So the gang unit for this police department, uh, this was Winston-Salem Police Department, was monitoring the gang, was monitoring social media, and they were at a fair, a big fairgrounds. Officers were patrolling it because yesterday there had been a shooting, somebody had been struck in a shooting, uh, and firearms were not allowed at the fair. That was clearly posted. So officers on patrol, while they're there, see a social media posting. And in the social media posting, uh, the individual, Mr. Just Davis, posts something that implies that he uh, has a fanny pack that is going to have a gun in it and that people in opposing gangs had better, rival gangs, had better watch out. And he had posted on social on, on social media a day before a photograph of himself wearing a fanny pack. So they don't see the gun, but they can see the fanny pack. And obviously, you know, we're familiar with fanny packs having guns. And his post implied that he had a gun. So we've got reasonable suspicion to believe that he uh, has got this fanny pack with a gun. He's a Bloods member. He's a felon. Uh, he, they carry guns generally, and he means uh, to threaten other gang members. And then when they see him about 20 minutes after he makes the post, uh, he's got a fanny pack around his waist, and it's positioned in front of his body. So officers walk up and immediately grab him and put him in handcuffs, and then immediately one of the officers, she does a pat down, she touches the fanny pack, she can ha feel a heavy metal object consistent with the shape of a gun, she unzips it and seizes the firearm, which is, it turns out to be his handgun. And just Davis is somewhat shocked, and he says, wow, you guys are really so monitoring social media. Uh, you know, 20 minutes after posting this, he's, he gets caught and, and, and they disarm him. Uh, so he's a felon, so he gets prosecuted, and he moves to suppress the evidence. The district court says, no, that's stupid. Obviously, they had reasonable suspicion. They can pat you down. And he appeals. Well, <clears throat> here's the challenge. Uh, the argument, you know, it seems pretty obvious, right? Sure, they can pat him down and remove his gun. But while the case is pending, the Fourth Circuit makes its decision in Buster. And that sort of changes the issue a little bit, because now we start to wonder, uh-oh, maybe the Fourth Circuit's going to suppress this evidence. So let's do a quick review. We talked about Buster back in episode 66, and it was a really troubling case. Let's talk about what happened in that case. In Buster, this was a case where officers responded to a report of a domestic assault with a firearm being discharged. They had seen the defendant, Mr. Buster, in the area of the victim's apartment earlier in the evening before the, before the assault and before the firearm discharge. And he, when they come back, there's Mr. Buster again, and he matches the description of the attacker in the domestic assault with the firearm discharged. So when the officers approach him, he takes off running. Uh, so, okay, now do we have reasonable suspicion to believe that he's the person involved in the activity? Absolutely, right? There's no question. Uh, so they chase after him, they capture him, and this is where we get to the issue of the pat-down. So he's got a bag strapped to his body and in the pouch and the pouch to the bag it's like a fanny pack is is in his in the in his front so officers grab him handcuff him and remove the bag now the bag is hard to the touch when the officers have mr buster on the ground and in handcuffs a nearby officer then opens the bag and finds a gun and a box of ammunition so right now, it's going to seem to you like, hey, just Davis and Buster are almost exactly safe, right? Guy, gun, fanny pack, pat down. Well, what does the court do in Buster? In Buster, the court suppresses the evidence. 
And here, and this is a brand new judge for the Fourth Circuit. He's he's uh, he's very new. He's only been there for like a year. Uh, but he writes, the doctrine allowing a limited warrantless search to protect officer safety cannot cover situations where there's no realistic danger to officer safety. And to this judge, his concern is, uh, and another judge agrees with him and votes, votes with him, uh, says, well, when the officers got the bag away from him, there was no threat anymore, right? They had disarmed him. He was on the ground, face down on the ground in handcuffs. And so the court didn't see this as a frisk. Uh, this is not cr cr quickly frisking an unsecured suspect or a bag during a Terry stop. This is a methodical search of a bag to which a suspect no longer has access while he is restrained and under the officer's physical control. Um, so here, it's not an issue about whether the officers have reasonable suspicion to believe that there's a gun in the bag. They do have reasonable suspicion, but that doesn't give you a pat down if there's no realistic danger in the eyes of the court. So what if there were a realistic danger, right? What if it? What if the bag was on his person? Or what if he was subdued, but he was still within reach of the bag? Well, there the court says, well, that's a different question. We're going to deal with that on another day. And it's interesting that they dodge that issue because that's something that the U.S. Supreme Court dealt with back in the 1980s in a case called Michigan versus Long. And if you don't remember, that Michigan versus Long is a case that says you can pat down a car while the driver is outside the car. And so Michigan versus Long concerned a situation where the passenger was out of the car, he was away from the car, and the officer then, while some other officer watched this, watched the driver of the car, went back to the passenger compartment of the car and patted it down. Well, why is it okay to do that? Well, the U.S. Supreme Court says the search of a passenger compartment of an automobile, limited to the, just those areas where a weapon could be placed or hidden, is permissible if the officer possesses a reasonable belief based on the facts and circumstances, specific facts taken with the rational inferences supported them, warrant the officer in believing that the suspect is dangerous and may gain immediate control of weapons. So sure, he's out of the car, but the court says suspects may injure police officers and others by virtue of their access to weapons, even though they may themselves not be armed. Right. So sure, he's standing outside the car, but we've all seen, I think there's a very famous video of, of people walking back to their cars, grabbing a gun and killing a police officer here in Michigan versus Long. The court says the Michigan Supreme Court appeared to believe that it was not reasonable for officers to fear that Long could injure them because he was under their control during the stop and could get could not get access to any weapons <clears throat> that might have been located in the vehicle. But here, the, in, in, in Long, in 1983, the U.S. Supreme Court says that that reasoning was mistaken in several respects. A Terry suspect could break away from police control and retrieve a weapon. If he's not placed under arrest, what's going to happen to him, right? Because again, every traffic, every Terry stop ends one of two ways. It either ends with the person being arrested or with the person being told they're free to go. And if he's not placed under arrest, he's going to be permitted to get back in the car and then he gets back access to the weapons again. Right. Or during the course of the Terry investigation, uh, he may be allowed to go back into the car, uh, you know, to wait in the car while the officer runs a, a, a traffic, a, a 28 or 29 or something like that on him. So uh, the court says uh, that the suspect, because, again, he could have access to the weapons. Right. In any event, though, it's a police investigation at close range. And that's what Terry is talking about. The fact that officers are particularly vulnerable because there is no full custodial arrest yet. And officers have to make quick decisions how to protect themselves and others from possible danger. So in that situation, the court says, we have not required officers adopt alternative means to ensure their safety 
in order to avoid, you know, the intrusion, right? Um, <clears throat> there's a great case in Virginia called Glover versus Commonwealth, which is from the 1980s. And it's a case involving an Alexander police officer, um, actually a guy named John Horvath I used to work with. And um, in that case, the officer got the guy out of the car and again, put him at the end, you know, put him away. Another officer's watching him. He's way far away. And his argument in Glover, when the officer, because Officer Horvath finds a gun inside the passenger compartment, says, hey, I was secured. I was away. I couldn't get access. And again, the court looks at Long and says, no, that's not the argument. So, so why does the Fourth Circuit, in light of all that, suppress the evidence? Well, here again, I think the issue is that <clears throat> maybe that they looked at this like as it was a full custodial arrest almost, like Buster was on the ground in handcuffs, the bag was totally taken away, and there was no articulation from the officers about how it would be that he could still gain control of, the we of a weapon. In other words, was there some kind of threat or danger that he could break away from police control and retrieve a weapon, which is what Long talks about, right? The danger that somebody could break away from police control and retrieve a weapon. And what this might sound to you a lot like is <clears throat> a case called U.S. versus Davis. And U.S. versus Davis is a case we talked about a lot as well in the last year. That was a case from uh, just about a year ago in 2021, in May of 2021, where <clears throat> it, was a, it, was a, it was an issue not of pat-downs, but of search incident to arrest, where Mr. Davis was running away from police. Uh, it was a high-speed chase. He had a backpack. He ran into a swamp. He had this backpack uh, that he was holding on to. They order him out of the swamp. He drops the backpack on the ground, and then they arrest him. And it was definitely a full custodial arrest, and they definitely had probable cause to arrest him. They arrest him, put him in handcuffs, and then while <clears throat> two or three officers have him on the ground, uh, another officer grabs the, his backpack, which at this point was a few feet away. I think it was like five or six feet away. Pick up that backpack and search the backpack incident to arrest. And in the Davis case, what the court says is, again, it's unlawful. Uh, you cannot search a container possessed by a suspect in a search incident to arrest uh, unless that arrestee is unsecured and within reaching distance of the container at the time of the search. So even though Davis and Buster are dealing, Dave and Buster, just notice that, uh, Davis and Buster are dealing with very different standards, right? Buster is talking about a pat-down of a, of a person in a reasonable, situa uh, reasonable suspicion situation, and Davis is talking about search incident to arrest of a bag of a, uh, belonging to a person in a probable cause arrest situation. The court is looking at essentially the same factor here, which is, was the suspect secure were they within reaching distance of the bag that's being searched? In Davis, the court says he is secure and he's not within reaching distance. And because he's secure and not within reaching distance, at that point, <clears throat> there's no lawful search incident to arrest of the backpack. But the court had to acknowledge that it's not just reaching distance that's, it, that's the issue. It's, it's the, is the defendant secured or within reaching distance, right? So uh, in Farabee, which is a case that had happened back in 2020, the suspect was in handcuffs. He was outside the house, and his backpack was inside the house, and the court said, yeah, it was okay to search his backpack incident to arrest, because Farabee, even though he was in handcuffs, could still walk around freely and could easily, in the court, in, when the court's describing here, could easily have made a break for the backpack inside the house. 
So it was reasonable for the officers in the Farabee case to believe the defendant could access his bag because even though he was in, he was handcuffed and he was outside of reaching distance, he was not secured and presumably could have re-entered the home and retrieved his bag. So the idea of being secured isn't the same as being locked in handcuffs. It's something more than just wearing handcuffs. Um, in Shakir, which is a Third Circuit case, which they talk about in the Davis case, he was under arrest. So, okay, so let me ask you this, right? So would it mean, oh, then it's, it's whether he's standing up or not. But no, Shakir talks about somebody who is handcuffed, guarded by two police officers. Uh, and Shakir, he, again, is surrounded by police officers, but could be, uh, but could break free. And there was a crowd of people around, right? Uh, so again, there was a, there was an issue uh, in that case as well. And so notice, right, <clears throat> in Shakir, he could be, you know, face down on the ground, for example. But if there's a crowd of people around, the court explains, uh, then he, because there's only two officers and a big crowd of people surrounding them, the mere fact that a suspect is on the ground doesn't necessarily mean that they're secured because if somebody from the crowd steps in, the suspect can get up and, and can reach over and grab the bag. And in, in, in that case, they're talking about a situation where the defendant's on the ground and his bag is right next to him, right? <clears throat> so the court here says, an arrest scene may be more fluid and an arrestee less secure when officers must not only maintain custody of the arrestee, but also must stay vigilant of a crowd and efforts by potential efforts by Confederates to interfere with the arrest, right? So this is a very frustrating kind of rule, obviously, and it's and, and you can see how um, the court is trying to come up with some kind of legal doctrine, and in doing so is making it a little complicated for officers to figure out when they can and can't do a search incident arrest or when they can and can't do a pat-down. So that brings us back to our Just Davis case, right? So Just Davis, to me, this is much more of a typical pat-down situation. And the question walking into this Just Davis case is, okay, so these officers who did a what I think anybody would have said would be a lawful pat-down, when the Buster case comes out four months ago, we start to worry, oh man, maybe they're going to think this regular old pat-down by officers in this Just Davis case is also going to be unlawful because the officers didn't articulate whether he was secured or not or whether he can get access to the gun or not. And so... With that in mind, we walk into this case thinking, how are they going to apply this discussion in Buster to this case? And the good news is that the court looks at this and says, this is a perfectly lawful pat-down. This is exactly what Terry is talking about allowing officers to do. And the officers in this case had the authority not just to seize the defendant, because they had reasonable suspicion that he was armed and dangerous, but to pat him down. Uh, the court here says, again, he's they got reasonable suspicion to think, obviously, that he's a convicted felon. He's a gang member. He's posted re an incriminating statement on social media. Um, by the way, his residence had been target of shootings. Uh, he was engaged in criminal activity. He was armed and dangerous. Fine. We know that. But further, the important thing here is they also rule that the officers didn't exceed the scope of their brief detention and frisk by handcuffing them, patting him down, feeling the hard object in his fanny pack, opening it up, and seizing the firearm. Those actions in the eyes of the court were justified to ensure the safety of the officers and the other people nearby, right? This is what Terry was designed to do. And the court notices here, and so this is, you know, again, different than 
than Buster. In Buster, they put him in handcuffs, put him on the ground. There's officers surrounding him. They, they grab his bag. They separate him from the bag. And then once the bag is separate from him, then they pat him down, which, by the way, is a very safe way to do that pat down. You don't, I mean, this situation that we're in here clearly is less safe. It's demand, it's what they had to do under the exigencies of the situation to move as fast as they could. But surely an officer would rather do what the officers did in Buster because it's safer. But in the eyes of the court, because it's safer, because it secures him and secures the bag away from him, at that point you lose the Terry justification for the pat down of the bag because now, well, the situation is safe. He doesn't have access to the bag. Well, if he doesn't have access to the bag, then there's no Terry pat down of the bag. Right, so the safest way to do the Terry pat down is also by holding him down on the ground with multiple officers surrounding him and pulling the bag away and then patting it down somewhere else is also then at that point the way that you lose the justification. Whereas in this case, the officers move very fast. They come in, they immediately grab him, they immediately put him in handcuffs and uh, within 30 seconds find the gun, pat down his legs, pat down the fanny pack, discover, that he's, uh, discover the hard object in the fanny pack, open it up, take the gun out. The whole encounter takes 30 seconds. And the court says here, well, then that's what Terry's all about, right? Temporarily restricting somebody's liberty to permit officers to conduct a protective frisk for weapons. And using handcuffs obviously is permissible because he's concerned about, they're concerned about safety. It's not an arrest. It's simply to detain him to determine whether or not he's wet, he's armed. And again, you can pat down a person or you can pat down a bag. And the court repeats this very clearly, right? You have the authority, if some, if you believe, reasonable position to believe that somebody is armed, you can pat down their person. You can pat down their fanny pack. You could pat down a purse if the person had a purse. Um, if they had, you know, if they were holding a bag, uh, it doesn't, you know, if it's a bag strapped to their person, that kind of thing. Um, the reasonable suspicion to believe that somebody is armed based on some specific articulable facts allows law enforcement to uh, pat down their person or their their bags, you know, purses, bags, whatever that they're uh, they're holding on to, that, that they're on their person. And so the court then, you know, says, well, then what's the difference between Buster, where officers pat down a fanny pack, and this case, just Davis, where officers pat down, pat down a, a fanny pack. And the difference to the court here is uh, he's in handcuffs, sure, just like in Buster, just Davis is in handcuffs, but he's standing. So that's like Farabee, right? So he's still ambulatory. He can still walk around. He could still make a break for it or run. And He's in a crowded public space. And remember, Shakir talks about the fact that if you're in a crowded public space, that changes your calculus, your numbers, right? Uh, in Buster, it was several officers and only one guy. Mr. Buster, there's nobody else around. In Davis, which was the case in the swamp, the guy with the swamp and the, who gets chased in the swamp with a backpack, again, it's lots of different officers surrounding him and he's all by himself. Whereas in Shakir, yeah, it was two officers, but it was a big crowd surrounding them. Uh, in Davis, it was two officers, but again, there's a lot of other people there at the house. So here, he's standing, and he's in a crowded public space. Uh, he's still wearing the fanny pack, which again, you know, it's not the safest way to do it. The better way to do it would be to get the fanny pack off of him and pat it down. But the officers here got to move fast. They're moving as quickly as they can to the circumstances. And the fact that he still has the fanny pack on him definitely makes him still dangerous. And he's not completely subdued. He's not face down on the ground. He's not got several officers on top of him. So that, for the court, makes this very different than Buster, who was fully secured on the ground, separate from his bag, and, and then they searched the bag. 
So for the court here, uh, even though the officers in this case didn't articulate it that clearly in this case because they didn't think they needed to because, again, before Buster, anybody would have thought this was a perfectly good pat-down, uh, the court here still says there's still a realistic danger to the officer's safety uh, as well as to the safety of the nearby crowd when they do the pat-down. And so as a result, the officers, again, because they had reasonable suspicion of criminal activity uh, and because they had the authority to detain him, and then once they detained him, it was permissible within the scope of the Terry stop to pat down that fanny pack. So, you know, what's the takeaway here, right? What's the takeaway for you as an officer going forward? Well, again, I think what we said in episode 66, the real takeaway here is about articulation. What is it that makes somebody dangerous to you in a situation what is the concern that you have that the person you have in your custody, whether it's a search incident to arrest and so you have somebody arrested, or whether their person is detained under a Terry encounter, what's your concern that the place that you're patting down or you're searching is a place where the arrestee might gain possession of a weapon? Uh, or if it's a search incident to arrest, they might gain possession of a weapon or destroy evidence. Sir, a, um, a pat down allows you to pat the object down, confirm or dispel your suspicion that the object that the uh, that there's a weapon inside. Whereas a search incident to arrest gives you the authority to search an object for a weapon or uh, for evidence, right? Evidence that might be destroyed. Evidence is a risk of it being destroyed or lost. And so, in either case, the issue is: can the suspect? get possession of them or is it is this is the object in the immediate control of the suspect could the suspect break free and get to it and all these cases that we've talked about from michigan versus long in 1983 all the way up through just davis which was just this last week in some way or another talk about how many officers are in the scene whether the person is standing or on the ground or seated whether the person is in handcuffs, whether there's a crowd of people around. And under those circumstances, could the suspect get to, is it reasonable to think the person could get to the space that you're patting down or searching? And so I think it's become pretty clear in the last year, really since Davis, that these things are things you're going to have to document and articulate clearly. And notice, it's not like magically that, oh, if the guy's in handcuffs and there's another officer watching him, I can't pat this, pat, it down, pat down the object that he's been separated from. I can't pat down the backpack that he's been separated from. Well, no, right? There's a recognition going all the way back to Long from 1983 that people can break free, uh, that there's still a danger, there's still a threat to you potentially. So you're going to have to be able to articulate. Why is it that I thought that this person uh, could break free? Why is it that I was concerned that we didn't really have them fully secured? You know, if they're backseat of your police car and in handcuffs and they're not getting out and they're under arrest, then yeah, you're probably not going to get a search incident to arrest of a backpack uh, that, you, that you've seized from them and you have this backpack and it's, you know, on the hood of their car or something and they're already in handcuffs, they're already in the backseat of your car, they're going to jail. No, you're not going to get a search incident to that backpack anymore. Um, could you get a ser inventory search of the backpack? Well, yeah, let's, if, you're, if your policy says that you should inventory search the backpack, you'll get an inventory search of the backpack. Uh, and again, just Davis and Buster uh, are, are very similar cases. Uh, but the articulation has got to be, you know, again, why did I think that this person was going to get access? The question I always asked about Buster, 
And this goes back to the argument we had back in um, episode 66 is, so did that mean for the officers who had Buster on the ground, and this was the guy who was laying on the ground in handcuffs, surrounded by officers, and they separate the bag away from him. Did that mean that those officers could never have patted down that fanny pack? And what I want you to think about as we close today is, was that case about officers who simply couldn't pat down that bag, that bag, who had done the safest thing they possibly could, had approached that situation as safely as they possibly could, immediately got him on the ground, immediately got him in handcuffs, immediately got the bag away from him, and by doing that in the safest manner possible, deprived themselves of the ability to pat down that bag? Is that what happened in that case? Or is that case also about articulation? Because notice, at some point, they're going to have to get Buster up on his feet. And at some point, they're going to have to figure out, is Buster going to jail tonight? Do I have probable cause to arrest him? Or am I going to have to set him free? And so the question I have for you is, as you, to think about for the rest of the day is, okay, so when are we going to get him back up on his feet? Hopefully we're not holding him down on the ground, face down on the ground for very long, because at some point that's going to transfer him into an arrest. He's only being temporarily detained at this point. So if I'm going to stand him up now... Uh, does he potentially have access to this fanny pack because we're standing around together? How many officers are here? How long are we going to keep him separate from this fanny pack? Are we going to have to return it to him? If we're going to have to return it to him, aren't we giving him his weapon back that we still have reasonable suspicion to believe he just used in a shooting? <clears throat> and so in that case, wouldn't we under U.S. Versus, under Michigan versus Long uh, and under Glover versus Commonwealth, if we're facing the prospect of having to turn this bag back over to him, wouldn't we then be justified in patting him down? Um, if he is standing up, is it possible for him to break free and get to the bag? And if we're going to stand him up, if the decision made, all right, we're going to have to stand him up. Wait, before we stand him up, let me pat down this bag. Because we know we're about to stand him up and put him in a position where he could break free and get to this bag. So before we do that, I'm going to make sure this bag is safe. And make sure the situation, the scene is safe, right? Would that articulation be different? Sure, I think we'd a lot more be in the territory closer to the just Davis case. Uh, and then lastly, of course, consider if there's some other reason why you would be able to pat down the bag, right? Um, the facts in Buster very much approached probable cause. And I think at that point, if you'd arrested him, uh, could you search the bag under a search incident to arrest? Well, no, for the same reasons why Davis said you couldn't do it. Uh, but if we're going to arrest him, could we get an inventory search of that bag? Yeah, maybe we could, right? Um, if he, you know, if he disclaims the property, maybe we, you know, if he, hey, is this your bag? No, it's not my bag. Well, then it's abandoned property and I could search the bag. It is your bag. Yeah, well, then it's coming to you with jail and to the jail and then I'm going to inventory search it. So uh, a lot of different things to think about. It's making our lives more complicated. There's no question. But, uh, but uh, this is what the law is and this is what we have to do uh, in 2022 to make sure that our actions are lawful. So, Hopefully today was interesting. Uh, it was a good case, a good ruling from the Fourth Circuit. If you like what you heard today, uh, please let me know. I'm always happy to do other topics. If you think they're interesting, share new ideas for the podcast with me. Uh, if you like the podcast, tell your friends. We're on, app, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher Podcast. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. Take care, stay safe, and don't get captured. <laughs>